Section 32 of Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3, by John Calvin. Translated by Henry Beveridge. Chapter 19, Part 2. 10. Very many also err in this, as if their liberty were not safe and entire, without having men to witness it. They use it indiscriminately and imprudently, and in this way often give offence to weak brethren. You may see some in the present day who cannot think they possess their liberty unless they come into possession of it by eating flesh on Friday. Their eating I blame not, but this false notion must be driven from their minds, for they ought to think that their liberty gains nothing new by the sight of men, but is to be enjoyed before God, and consists as much in abstaining as in using. If they understand that it is of no consequence in the sight of God whether they eat flesh or eggs, whether they are clothed in red or in black, this is amply sufficient. The conscience to which the benefit of this liberty was due is loosed, Therefore, though they should afterwards, during their whole life, abstain from flesh, and constantly wear one color, they are not less free. Nay, just because they are free, they abstain with a free conscience. But they err most egregiously in paying no regard to the infirmity of their brethren, with which it becomes us to bear, so as not rashly to give them offense. But it is sometimes also of consequence that we should assert our liberty before men, this i admit yet must we use great caution in the mode lest we should cast off the care of the weak whom god has specially committed to us eleven i will here make some observations on offences what distinctions are to be made between them what kind are to be avoided and what disregarded this will afterwards enable us to determine what scope there is for our liberty among men we are pleased with the common division into offence given and offence taken, since it has the plain sanction of Scripture and not improperly expresses what is meant. If from unseasonable levity or wantonness or rashness you do anything out of order or not in its own place, by which the weak or unskilful are offended, it may be said that offence has been given by you, since the ground of offence is owing to your fault and in general offence is said to be given in any matter where the person from whom it has proceeded is in fault offence is said to be taken when a thing otherwise done not wickedly or unseasonably is made an occasion of offence from malevolence or some sinister feeling for here offence was not given but sinister interpreters ceaselessly take offence by the former kind the weak only by the latter the ill-tempered and pharisaical are offended wherefore we shall call the one the offence of the weak the other the offence of pharisees and we will so temper the use of our liberty as to make it yield to the ignorance of weak brethren but not to the austerity of pharisees what is due to infirmity is fully shown by paul in many passages him that is weak in the faith receive ye again let us not judge one another any more but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way 
and many others to the same effect in the same place, to which, instead of quoting them here, we refer the reader. The sum is, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Elsewhere he says, Take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Again, whatsoever is sold in the shambles that eat, asking no question for conscience' sake. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. Finally, give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Also in another passage, brethren, ye have been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Thus, indeed, it is, our liberty was not given us against our weak neighbors, whom charity enjoins us to serve in all things, but rather that, having peace with God in our minds, we should live peaceably among men. What value is to be set upon the offense of the Pharisees, we learn from the words of our Lord, in which he says, Let them alone, they be blind leaders of the blind. Matthew chapter 15 verse 14 the disciples had intimated that the Pharisees were offended at his words. He answers that they are to be let alone, that their offense is not to be regarded. 12. The matter still remains uncertain, unless we understand who are the weak and who the Pharisees. For if this distinction is destroyed, I see not how, in regard to offenses, any liberty at all would remain without being constantly in the greatest danger. But Paul seems to me to have marked out most clearly, as well by example as by doctrine, how far our liberty, in the case of offense, is to be modified or maintained. When he adopts Timothy as his companion, he circumcises him. Nothing can induce him to circumcise Titus. Acts chapter 16 verse 3 and Galatians chapter 2 verse 3. The acts are different. But there is no difference in the purpose or intention. In circumcising Timothy as he was free from all men, he made himself the servant of all. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. First Corinthians chapter 9 verses 20 to 22 We have here the proper modification of liberty, when in things indifferent it can be restrained with some advantage. What he had in view in firmly restricting the circumcision of Titus, he himself testifies when he thus writes, But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Galatians chapter 2 verses 3 to 5 
we here see the necessity of vindicating our liberty when by the unjust exactions of false apostles it is brought into danger with weak consciences in all cases we must study charity and look to the edification of our neighbor all things are lawful for me says he but all things are not expedient all things are lawful for me but all things edify not let no man seek his own but every man another's wealth first corinthians chapter ten verses twenty three and twenty four there is nothing plainer than this rule that we are to use our liberty if it tends to the edification of our neighbor but if inexpedient for our neighbor we are to abstain from it there are some who pretend to imitate this prudence of paul by abstinence from liberty while there is nothing for which they less employ it than for purposes of charity consulting their own ease they would have all mention of liberty buried though it is not less for the interest of our neighbor to use liberty for their good and edification than to modify it occasionally for their advantage it is the part of a pious man to think that the free power conceded to him in external things is to make him the readier in all offices of charity thirteen whatever i have said about avoiding offences i wish to be referred to things indifferent things which are necessary to be done cannot be omitted from any fear of offence for as our liberty is to be made subservient to charity so charity must in its turn be subordinate to purity of faith here too regard must be had to charity but it must go as far as the altar that is we must not offend god for the sake of our neighbour we approve not of the intemperance of those who do everything tumultuously and would rather burst through every restraint at once than proceed step by step but neither are those to be listened to who while they take the lead in a thousand forms of impiety pretend that they act thus to avoid giving offence to their neighbour as if in the meantime they did not train the consciences of their neighbours to evil especially when they always stick in the same mire without any hope of escape when a neighbour is to be instructed whether by doctrine or by example then smooth-tongued men say that he is to be fed with milk while they are instilling into him the worst and most pernicious opinions paul says to the corinthians i have fed you with milk and not with meat first corinthians chapter three verse two but had there then been a popish mass among them would he have sacrificed as one of the modes of giving them milk by no means milk is not poison it is false then to say they nourish those whom under a semblance of soothing they cruelly murder but granting that such dissimulation may be used for a time how long are they to make their pupils drink that kind of milk if they never grow up so as to be able to bear at least some gentle food it is certain that they have never been reared on milk two reasons prevent me from now entering farther into contest with these people first their follies are scarcely worthy of refutation seeing all men of sense must nauseate them and secondly having already amply refuted them in special treatises i am unwilling to do it over again let my readers only bear in mind first that whatever be the offences by which satan and the world attempt to lead us away from the law of god we must nevertheless strenuously proceed in the course which he prescribes and secondly 
that whatever dangers impend we are not at liberty to deviate one nail's breadth from the command of god that on no pretext is it lawful to attempt anything but what he permits fourteen since by means of this privilege of liberty which we have described believers have derived authority from christ not to entangle themselves by the observance of things in which he wished them to be free we conclude that their consciences are exempted from all human authority for it were unbecoming that the gratitude due to christ for his liberal gift should perish or that the consciences of believers should derive no benefit from it we must not regard it as a trivial matter when we see how much it cost our saviour being purchased not with silver or gold but with his own blood first peter chapter one verses eighteen and nineteen so that paul hesitates not to say that christ has died in vain if we place our souls under subjection to men galatians chapter five verses one and four and first corinthians chapter seven verse twenty three several chapters of the epistle to the galatians are wholly occupied with showing that christ is obscured or rather extinguished to us unless our consciences maintain their liberty from which they have certainly fallen if they can be bound with the chains of laws and constitutions at the pleasure of men but as the knowledge of this subject is of the greatest importance so it demands a longer and clearer exposition for the moment the abolition of human constitutions is mentioned the greatest disturbances are excited partly by the seditious and partly by calumniators as if obedience of every kind were at the same time abolished and overthrown fifteen therefore lest this prove a stumbling block to any let us observe that in man government is twofold the one spiritual by which the conscience is trained to piety and divine worship the other civil by which the individual is instructed in those duties which as men and citizens we are bold to perform see book four chapter ten sections three to six to these two forms are commonly given the not inappropriate names of spiritual and temporal jurisdiction intimating that the former species has reference to the life of the soul while the latter relates to matters of the present life not only to food and clothing but to the enacting of laws which require a man to live among his fellows purely honorably and modestly the former has its seat within the soul the latter only regulates the external conduct we may call the one the spiritual the other the civil kingdom now these two as we have divided them are always to be viewed apart from each other when the one is considered we should call off our minds and not allow them to think of the other for there exists in man a kind of two worlds over which different kings and different laws can preside by attending to this distinction we will not erroneously transfer the doctrine of the gospel concerning spiritual liberty to civil order as if in regard to external government christians were less subject to human laws because their consciences are unbound before god as if they were exempted from all carnal service because in regard to the spirit they are free again because even in those constitutions which seem to relate to the spiritual kingdom there may be some delusion 
it is necessary to distinguish between those which are to be held legitimate as being agreeable to the word of god and those on the other hand which ought to have no place among the pious we shall elsewhere have an opportunity of speaking of civil government see book four chapter twenty for the present also i defer speaking of ecclesiastical laws because that subject will be more fully discussed in the fourth book when we come to treat of the power of the church we would thus conclude the present discussion the question as i have said though not very obscure or perplexing in itself occasions difficulty to many because they do not distinguish with sufficient accuracy between what is called the external forum and the forum of conscience what increases the difficulty is that paul commands us to obey the magistrate not only for wrath but also for conscience sake romans chapter thirteen verses one and five whence it follows that civil laws also bind the conscience were this so then what we said a little ago and are still to say of spiritual governments would fall to solve this difficulty the first thing of importance is to understand what is meant by conscience the definition must be sought in the etymology of the word for as men when they apprehend the knowledge of things by the mind and intellects are said to know and hence arises the term knowledge or science so when they have a sense of the divine justice added as a witness which allows them not to conceal their sins but drags them forward as culprits to the bar of god that sense is called conscience for it stands as it were between god and man not suffering man to suppress what he knows in himself but following him on even to conviction it is this that paul means when he says their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another romans chapter two verse fifteen simple knowledge may exist in man as it were shut up therefore this sense which assists man before the bar of god is set over him as a kind of sentinel to observe and spy out all his secrets that nothing may remain buried in darkness hence the ancient proverb conscience is a thousand witnesses for the same reason peter also employs the expression the answer of a good conscience first peter chapter three verse twenty one for tranquillity of mind when persuaded of the grace of christ we boldly present ourselves before god and the author of the epistle to the hebrews says that we have no more conscience of sins hebrews chapter ten verse two that we are held as freed or acquitted so that sin no longer accuses us sixteen wherefore as works have respect to men so conscience bears reference to god a good conscience being nothing else than inward integrity of heart in this sense paul says that the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good consciences and of faith unfeigned first timothy chapter one verse five he afterwards in the same chapter shows how much it differs from intellect when he speaks of holding faith and a good conscience which some having put away have made shipwreck first timothy chapter one verse nineteen for by these words he intimates that it is a lively inclination to serve god a sincere desire to live in piety and holiness sometimes indeed it is even extended to men as when paul testifies herein do i exercise myself 
to have always a conscience void of offence toward god and toward men acts chapter twenty four verse sixteen he speaks thus because the fruits of a good conscience go forth and reach even to men but as i have said properly speaking it refers to god only hence a law is said to bind the conscience because it simply binds the individual without looking at men or taking any account of them for example god not only commands us to keep our mind chaste and pure from lust but prohibits all external lasciviousness or obscenity of language my conscience is subjected to the observance of this law though there were not another man in the world and he who violates its sins not only by setting a bad example to his brethren but stands convicted in his conscience before god the same rule does not hold in things indifferent we ought to abstain from everything that produces offence but with a free conscience thus paul speaking of meat consecrated to idols says if any man say unto you this is offered in sacrifice unto idols eat not for his sake that showed it and for conscience sake conscience i say not thine own but of the other first corinthians chapter ten verses twenty eight and twenty nine a believer after being previously admonished would sin were he still to eat meat so offered but though abstinence on his part is necessary in respect of a brother as it is prescribed by god still he ceases not to retain liberty of conscience we see how the law while binding the external act leaves the conscience unbound end of section thirty two recording by shenna sayre fresno california